Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. seen some of these slides, even if Wayne taught you because he borrowed some of my slides, uh, or something very similar. In a way, in essence, what I'm going to do over the next, oh, let's call it three, four classes, is I'm going to do all of 21, 26 to get you all back up to speed. Um, Does it like that transition? It's much nicer in PowerPoint, isn't it? You'll also note, by the way, that there's an audio level thing at the top. Eventually, these will be. This will take more than one class, but all the audio will be put together with synced with this, and this will be posted uh, under a podcast called Doctor Dave Project Statistics Videos, and you can download those. Um, if you're going to find anything about a data set, you have to understand the data first, right? I mean, that's just a given. You you can't just, and you'll see this too often. People will look at numbers when they get them. When you do a thesis of some sort, whatever, it's very tempting to just get your numbers and just start looking at them and try to interpret them. And that's not, you can sometimes do that, so it's very clear. If it's all zeros in one group and ones in the other group, that's pretty clear. That's pretty easy. But typically, it's, the world isn't that simple and nobody's data are that pretty, no matter what science you're doing. Even if you're doing physics, things aren't that pretty. Um, so basically, what exploratory data analysis is, is getting a feel for your numbers. Um, it allows you to find mistakes more easily. These are little techniques. That's what all this stuff is, just techniques. But it's going to allow you to find mistakes that you've made. These could be coding errors. They could be errors in your measurement. For example, you might have... Uh, I remember uh, when I was in graduate school, a friend of mine was doing research on um, smoking behavior. And he was trying to find a way to predict... Uh, how many cigarettes people smoke per day without using a physiological measure. It's easy to do if you get a saliva sample. That's trivial. There's a stable metabolite of nicotine called uh, cocaine, and, and it's got a 24-hour half-life, so you can easily figure out how many cigarettes people smoke. But you have to get a saliva sample from somebody. And that's a bit invasive. Wouldn't it be nice if we could ask people, say, four, three or four questions, and we could guess with about 90% accuracy how many cigarettes they smoke? That would be much easier. So this is what he was trying to set up. And he, he studied about four or 500 people. And he had 22 variables. And he was going to try to narrow this down to about four or five. And one of them was, well, one of them, he had asked people how many cigarettes they smoked today. Of course, because that's what he was trying to say. And he, he gave us, he was a TA for our graduate stats class. He gave us this data set. <coughs> um, because it's a nice big data set. And we would use it a lot to just play with it. And one of the people said they smoked 400 cigarettes a day. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know if you know a lot about smoking, but that's a lot of cigarettes. That's about 15 packs a day. Now, that's possible. It's amazing the person would be alive, but it's possible. But, I mean, that's professional. That's through the Olympics go pro. I mean, that's, that's not messing around. It's probably 40. It's probably not 400. It's probably 40. Now, you don't know this, and what he eventually had to do was just remove the data. But at least he spotted it, because that would screw up everything. Right? So he was able to spot this just by going through using these techniques and just looking at the batches of numbers, um, not just as numbers, but representations of them, graphs, charts, etc. Um, once you do this kind of thing, let's say you do some kind of scatter plot or something like that, it's much easier to find out what happened, to make a, a guess to yourself. What happened? And it's also easy to find odd values that might be mistakes, they might not be mistakes. What if this guy actually smoked 400 cigarettes a day? First we call the Guinness people, then the authorities. <laughs> but he's talking about trying to predict the behavior of typical cigarette smokers, isn't he? Is that a typical anything? No. No. We don't want that guy in our data set, probably. Right? We probably don't want that guy. So even if it isn't a mistake, 
it's still a weird enough value that we should probably remove it. Right? It's a judgment call, but I think in that case, because we're trying to make a prediction about the average cigarette smoker, that would be a sensible approach. So the, probably the most important and most overlooked area of statistics is exploratory data analysis. Um, use this, analysis. this was developed by a guy named John Tukey, and we'll hear more about Tukey later in the course. He's a very important statistician. Uh, he also developed the Tukey test, which is a post-hoc test analysis of variance. Um, but his biggest contribution, it seems to me, in fact, was doing this. And this is basically making charts and graphs. This allows you to generate hypotheses as well as get a feel for your data. When you have a data set of 500 records with 23 variables, you might want to make a few guesses about what's going on, generate some hypotheses. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? You can do that. You can't do that just by looking at a matrix of 500 by 23 matrix. It's going to be almost impossible. Can you do it by making some graphs and charts? Hell yes. You can make a few guesses. And you're, the other big thing we're going to do here is we're going to get an idea about how our experiment or study, whatever you want to call it, went without losing the richness in the data. When I say richness, I mean the detail, the individual values. We don't want, right now, we don't want to lose that. Eventually, yes, eventually we're going to talk about means and variances and stuff. But right away, we probably don't want to do that. Let's not lose sight of it. B.F. Skinner said, the average describes the behavior of no animal, which I think is a brilliant quote. Because what he's saying is, we have to look at individuals sometimes. And we should look at individuals. And this doesn't matter what you're doing, if you're doing biology or psychology or, or you know, heaven forbid, sociology. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a sociology joke. I like making them. They're fun. It's all fun. OK, I don't know what these are. But let's say, oh, I know. Let's pretend they're um, marks out of 35 on a test. Let's go with that. And we've got very few people in the class. One and two is three and five is eight and two is 10, 11. We have 12 people in our class. It's a small class. So here we have the value, x, and the frequency. We one person got 10, one person, two people got 23, five people got 25, two people got 30, one person got 33, and one person got perfect. That's pretty good. Right away, if we just had the numbers, and they weren't put in this frequency, relative frequency chart like this, we wouldn't get as much of a feel for how people did. By looking at this, we can right away see something. The most common mark was 25 out of 35. Right? That's not that bad. That's uh, what's five cents. It's pretty good. It's 86 or something like that, I think, if I'm doing arithmetic correctly. It's something like that. That's pretty reasonable. Very few people screwed this up, in fact, only that this person didn't do very well. This person did really well. This person made a good study. We got one person like that. We got one person at the other extreme. I would actually be pretty happy with grades like this on my own test reports. I would look at that and say, those are actually pretty good. Right? And it would be hard to tell if we just had all the numbers in front of us. And again, that's only 12 numbers. Think if it was 100 or 50. When I'm teaching intro psych and there's 80 people in the class, a set of numbers like that does nothing for me. So what frequency tables allow you to do is they make stuff easy. They allow you to, oh god, look, notation. Ah! Okay. <laughs> this sigma sign means add up all of the. It means sum. It's a Greek letter sigma. It's a capital Greek letter sigma. And it just makes a sound. Sum. Today's episode of Sesame Street is brought to you by the letter sigma. <laughs> so what this allows us to do is to get a total. This is the total score of the whole group. It's x times f. That's the x is the score they get. f is the frequency. So 10 times 1, 23 times 2, 25 times 5, 30 times 2, 33 times 1, 33, 35 times 1. That should be a close parenthesis. I don't say this is the shift to be there. That gives us a number, which is 309. You might think, well, why would it be useful to add them all up? Well, we're going to eventually get the mean, so this is something that's going to be useful for us. So not only have we organized the data a little bit, without losing any of the numbers, we've been able to very easily then calculate the total, which is something we're going to need to do things like averages. Right? 
And technically, this should, underneath here, say i equals 1 up to j. I'm not going to do that. This isn't a math class. Don't tell Edmund James, and I won't, and everything will be fine. She's a math professor. So I'm, sometimes I play a little fast and loose with notation. I just don't put indices in because they, they tend to get somewhat confusing to some people. And all I'm trying to do is represent what's happening, which is what I have written down there. Questions so far? Does this make sense? Pretty straightforward, right? We can get a relative frequency histogram, which is basically a graph. Um, why does this look so ugly? Because I just had Google spreadsheets do it. I don't really, I would never publish this, something that looked like this. It looks like crap. But it's still giving me something. Again, you're doing this for yourself. You're not doing this, you're not publishing something like this. This isn't going into your thesis. This isn't going into a paper you're writing. This is so you can look at, this is so you can bring this to your thesis supervisor and say, here's what's happened so far. Right? When I was young, I was in graduate school. I used to meet with my PhD supervisor every single week. And I would bring her hand-drawn graphs because I was keeping the data. I was doing observational stuff. I was watching, interesting me, watching things, isn't it? Watching little birds store food. And I would write down what they did. So I was just writing it down. I was sitting behind a one-way mirror. It was kind of fun. The birds knew I was there. I'm pretty sure they knew I was there. It wasn't a mirror, sorry. If there was one-way mirror, they'd fly into it. It was more of a... Smoke glass thing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So I'm just writing stuff down. I wasn't putting it into a computer right away. So I would just, I had graph paper and I would draw graphs. And this was so I could look, Sarah Shuttleworth and I could look at it and say, oh, it looks like this is what's happening. So all this is, is there's one person there. This scale's horrible, <laughs> right? It's a stupid scale because we, in fact, can't have decimal places. I don't care. This is just for me to get a feel for the data. You would never put something like this in a paper because I would ask you right away, or any, an editor would ask you, or whoever would say, what's two and a half people mean? <laughs> right? But that's not why you're doing this. You're doing this just so you can easily uh, play with it. And again, I think I, Google, I use Google Spreadsheets to do this. It's like bang, bang, done. We have lost, again, still no richness in the data, but we have a picture now. And pictures can be useful, right? And it's easy to reconstruct the data set. Let's say something bad happened and we didn't have all the numbers. Or, you know, let's say it is 500 values instead of just 12. <coughs> if that's the case, you know, what if we lost the data set? These things happen. Well, if we have this, we can reconstruct it very easily. I can just do counts. Especially if I had a reasonable axis. It allows you to slot oddities. This one's weird. This is even weirder than it looked at the beginning, the person that got 10 out of 35, isn't it? Because everyone else is grouped up here. This one's here. You might want to go talk to this student. You might want to point out the excellent programs at community colleges. <laughs> By the way, that's the least fun discussion to have with a student. I'm just letting you know. Not that community colleges are great, just that, you know. This is really good. My brother's a community college professor. Music industry arts at Fanshawe College. Recording engineering and production. The other Professor Broadback that's one professor of the year at his institution that never finished high school. I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gino Ward, rock and roll. Anyways. <laughs> How often does your brother listen to... This? Not all. Okay. Why would he... Uh, it'd be like, first of all, the audio quality would hurt his ears because he's a record producer and engineer. Uh, and secondly, this would be this would be so. The only thing he would ever conceivably listen to would be something I know nothing about, which is auditory psychophysics. We find that interesting, but I don't know anything about that. Yes, yeah, he would have no reason to listen. In. I don't think he. I, yeah, he, no. And if he does, hi, Dan. How's it going? <laughs> we decided a long time ago actually not to discuss our work with each other because we don't get what each other does. Like I vaguely understand 
I probably know more about music production than anyone in this room, just through osmosis. And he probably knows more about enamel cognition than anyone where he works. Well, that's not true, this Mike Water. But anyone in his department, just through osmosis. But, you know, frankly, him and I discussing actually how we do our jobs, except for the teaching part, which we apparently do exactly the same. Uh, a lot of stories <laughs> and swearing. Um, he knows more of that than I do, but they're musicians, so I guess they like that or something. They're all crazy artists. Beyond that, now. <laughs> you know, we decided a long time ago. This is no good. So you can spot this all out of you. Like, what's going on? What's, what's wrong with this? You know, you want to talk to that person. You want to say, you need some help. Uh, you should go to a tutoring session, whatever. Because it does look really weird. If this person was here at, say, 17, which is still failing, it doesn't look weird, right? Because everything else is nice and symmetrical. It actually kind of belongs there. You know what? Maybe, maybe it's not the first person's fault. Maybe I screwed up the market. Maybe I should go back and take a look. Right? Maybe I, maybe I coded this incorrectly. Maybe it wasn't one zero. Maybe it was one nine. The zeros are beside the nine on the keyboard. Maybe I coded it incorrectly. So I can see that now even more clearly with the, than with the... Um, the frequency... Uh, Table with a, with a relative frequency histogram like this, it's really easy. All right. So you see the use, use of this kind of thing. Like now, I've got a bit more feel for this batch of that batch of numbers. Now we can also do something like this with categorical data. You get what's called a bar graph. With with um, I don't care about these definitions a great deal. Yeah, histogram, fine. Yeah. But then you get really into bar. Uh, it's not that important to me. You can do a pie chart. I don't like pie charts because they don't, I don't understand. I, I just don't like them. But people do. And if you like them, you can use pie charts. So it's pretty much the same thing with the x-axis. This doesn't really have a scale. Because you can't have, like if we had a uh, stat 2126 class, and we had 38 psych majors and 15 sociology, 18 CSD, and 5 bio majors, let's find this, whatever. That was actually real data from like four or five years ago. Um, how do I make a scale? Well, I could put psych on the left and then sociology, CSD, and biology. I guess I could do that just because that's the order that I listed them in. And that's just a sense. I could make it alphabetical. But this doesn't really mean it. It's not really, the x-axis has no scale to it, really. It's just categories. It'd be like if I had channel people that watch CBC and, and, and ABC and CNN and uh, the Food Network. Is the Food Network four times the TV channel of CBC? Well, I think it is. But, um, because Don Cherry isn't on the Food Network. But they do. Have you seen this new show on the Food Network, Sweet Genius? the creepiest thing in the world. It's an ex-Israeli commando pastry chef. And I'm not making that up. That's already cool. He's kind of crazy. He's got this, he's bald, he's completely got a shaved head. And he's got, I, I can't do an Israeli accent because it's really kind of intense and weird. To me, to my ear, I don't hear him very often. And he says, and you first, your, I'll try that. Your first mystery ingredient for your frozen dessert is mangoes. And these mangoes come out of this conveyor belt. And you will be inspired by this disco ball! It's the weirdest thing you've ever seen. It's exceedingly entertaining because it's weird. It's not interesting, it's just weird to watch. <laughs> so I mean, that's better than Don Jerry right there. And I'm a hockey fan. So the pie chart might be useful for you. If it is, great. I don't like them. Uh, people in business like pie charts. I don't know why. And that's great. I've never seen a pie chart in paper. But I don't read journals where they use pie charts. I've used a lot of categorical data in my time, though, uh, and I've done charts quite, quite a bit like that quite a few times. Again, I just did that with Google spreadsheets, some pointing and clicking. Okay? I, again, I wouldn't present this anywhere. Now, with a quantitative variable, so deleting the qualitative back to the quantitative variable, with those, you can use the person histogram. And one of the nice things we can see with uh, a histogram is we can get an idea of central tendency. Right, which is a fancy word for average. We can get an idea of how of, of spread, the spread evenness of something. Of the bad side. We can get an idea of the shape. Alright. One of the things about shape 
is you can talk about skewness. So if something is negatively skewed, it's got a tail more towards the left. If it's positively skewed, it's got a tail towards the right. I know it seems completely backwards and it does to me. The way I remember it is it's exactly the opposite of the way I think it should be. Uh, Cheryl Lee Delbert has a better way, a little mnemonic, the tail tells the tale. Yeah, you see that? Yeah, I don't really care a great deal about skewness. You can measure it. I don't know what these numbers mean, but one can measure skewness. It's not a big deal to me. The important thing, though, is that talking about skewness actually matters because this is actually the kind of distribution I tend to get for the grades in this class. It tends to have a, have a negative skew because people tend to do pretty well. Okay? This is the distribution that I very often get in 2126. There's a reason, see, most of these guys, they're going to make it to, you know, to 3256, so we're okay. Also, we've had some experience. So it's something you can talk about, is skewness. That's the strangest, most strangely constructed English sentence ever. ever. It's something you can talk about, skewness. English is great, eh? You can put words in any order. We can talk about kurtosis, which sounds like some sort of uh, disorder. Yeah, yeah your, your, your kurto is uh, inflamed. That's kurtosis. If something is leptokurtic, it means it's peaked. So the more peaked it is, the more leptokurtic it is. Well, it's quite leptokurtic. You can talk, you can describe people that way. I'm much more leptokurtic than St. Paul de Puy, who is as he's quite platokurtic. This is kind of chunky. <laughs> Paul de Puy joke. You can measure kurtosis too. Um, again, I don't really know how these things are measured. I can look them up and understand what I'm reading, but it's not that important. But this is something you would use. You, would, you wouldn't necessarily care a great deal if you talk about kurtosis, whether it's leptokurtic or platokurtic. What you would say is this is weird because it's very peaked. Or it's, and usually the data on this kind of experiment are peaked. Or it's very flat and it shouldn't be that flat and it should be quite peaked. Right? Like, think about this. Let's say we were, we were, we had um, something where there was a true-false test. So we're talking about again about a testing situation. True-false, okay? What is what do you expect the percentage to be? What's random chance? Fifty percent. But do you expect everyone to get right around fifty? No, that actually means something. Because if it's really um, leptokurtic at 50, if it's way too much more peak than you would expect, that means that a whole lot of people probably were cheating off someone who didn't know what they were doing. Right? Because they shouldn't all be there. It should actually be a nice bell shape if it, if it was random chance. And in fact, um, there was a case a few years ago, with a few of us had explained, um, where a person said that his rats were performing at random chance. And when you look at how spread out, how peaked it was, they weren't performing at random chance. They were actually right at 50%. Now, I don't think this guy made up his data because he's a smart guy. I think something else was happening. The bad thing to see was then he went, on, went into the literature and said, no, no, it's still random chance. And he went through all these statistical machinations and everyone thought he was wrong. He's still a really smart guy, so I'm not going to tell you his name. But I can say that it was very disturbing to me because it was like, he should have spotted this. And this is one of the problems that happens when you do experiments. You get so married to your hypotheses and your ideas that you, you look at the numbers and all you care about are means. And you go, oh, the means exactly what I expect. 50% they're a chance. Woo! Except that... Uh, they probably weren't a chance. They were at 50%, and they, but not due to chance, and it meant something. And that was a little bit, that was a weird, weird situation. But distribution 
which that's what we call this, the, what that graph looks for distribution. All of the values that the, 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 the variable has taken. That can be symmetrical or, or asymmetrical. It could also be unimodal or bimodal. I've never seen a trimodal distribution. Unimodal means it's got one, it's got one peak. Bimodal means it has two peaks or twin peaks, which was a great old TV show. <laughs> We got married, my wife and I walked down the aisles because we didn't steam. Because we both really liked that show. I've been a geek for a long time. The place that I found somebody else shared with that idea. It could be uniform. Um, you think about rolling a die. Six-sided die, or maybe a 20-sided die if you're one of those people. Which my daughter's one of those people. So. Well, your dice rolling scale just went up by one. Um, <laughs> you expect the same amount of ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sixes. You would get a uniform distribution. Right? So here's an example. Um, here's an example of, these are real data. These are the number of goal, goals scored per year by Mario Lemieux, who was a player for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, there he is. He, won the, he was the captain of our gold medal winning hockey team in 2002, as you know, and the World Cup winning team in 2004. Went to Stanley Cups, owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins, a man who once got cancer halfway through a season, missed two months, and still won the scoring title. Sort of a decent player. So here's some numbers. That's his rookie year. He's 18 years old. And by the way, if you don't know this, um, 50 goals in a, in a season in the National Hockey League is considered the gold standard. That's what you want to get at. The most ever scored by a player in a season is 93, and that's by Wayne Gretzky. 43, 48, 50, Ooh, and suddenly 70, 85. That's actually after he played with Gretzky's line in, in the 87 Canada Cup. So suddenly, who got better? 85. Oh, what happened here? Oh, he had cancer. So he only scored 45 goals because he missed two in. He won the scoring title. He had cancer. I've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I've got to take a break for eight weeks. Oh, I'm back now. Speaking of back, he had a bad back at the end of his career, unfortunately. 1944, 69, oh, man, he's got that problem again, then back up, 69, 50. That's still pretty good. Oh, he's hurting again. And he retired. He retired. He retired young. Bought the team. Actually bought the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, then he came back. I owned the team. What the hell? I think I'm playing again. Interesting, the coach behind the bench, giving him instructions and, and looking around and saying, you realize I signed your paychecks. <laughs> I was, was Yarmir Yager was the captain that he had a C on his, on his sweater, and I always wanted Mario to have an O for owner. <laughs> My team. And then eventually he did retire. Pretty impressive career. Pretty damn impressive career. The histogram's a pretty nice start. We also probably want to group the values, I think. Because not just the histogram of individual numbers, because frankly, look, we have. Not a whole lot of times where he's got an effect. Does he ever have the same number of goals in a season? I don't see two times when it's the same. No, so let's group them together. And I'm just going to let the software group them. I'm not going to care about, because the software tends to make decent decisions. So this is just, these are the midpoints in the software data. Okay, the software just did that for me. I don't really care. And I don't really, what does it show me? It shows me that he's got a lot of 50 seasons around 50 goals. And like I said, that's what, that's what everybody wants. That's the thing goal scorers dream of. He's also got a, this tells you a lot about his career. He's got a lot of seasons that are really low, and he's in, he's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, right after he retired, they, they, the first time, they waived the three-year not playing rule. Pretty amazing. So you think, well, why was that? And then if you don't know anything about the player, then you realize, well, he did have cancer, he had a back problem, etc. It's a really bad back problem. So this gives you just some, a better idea of what an amazing hockey player he was. But it also allows you to spot these weird years. He's got quite a few years like this. And again, frequencies, what's one of the quarter of NHL seasons? It, it doesn't mean anything. But I just had, I think I did Google Spreadsheets, I didn't did, did that so what's with the 90? There's no year to be scored 90. It's between 85 and 100. 
The labels are mid points, 5 to 14, 85 to 94, etc. Okay? The software is not going to lie to you. Uh, there hasn't been statistics software that made mistakes since the early 70s. First version of SPSS always made mistakes with correlations. Great. Doesn't really happen anymore. So you might want to look back and go, why had he get one? Oh, yeah, he did have one year where he's got, you know, between 85 and 94 goals. Okay. Did you, did you read about this in the, in the, in the 2126 where real limits? I don't care. I know theoretically it's important because you can't score. You have to have a, a, like a boundary condition where it makes it ambiguous. So between 94 and 95. So you have 94.5. I really don't care. I just thought I'd mention it because you might have heard about real limits. I mean, it's not important to me. Now, you do have to make sure the scale makes some sense. Now, again, if it's your own data, it really doesn't matter a great deal because you should have enough to feel for it. But, you know, you could confuse yourself a little bit. The y-axis is especially the one I'm talking about here. If we don't start the y-axis at zero, we might make some erroneous conclusions. I remember when I lived in Newfoundland and there were people heat their houses in one of really pretty much two ways in Newfoundland. They use oil, well, three oil, electricity, or wood. There's no um, uh, natural gas there. They just have it all. Like, they, they, nobody has natural gas in their home. So they use oil to heat, they use, they use wood stoves, or they use oil. And of course, the electricity company always wants you to switch over to electricity. The oil company wants you to go back to the oil or whatever. So you would get these little flyers, these little ads. Now, at the time, electricity, electric heat was, was more expensive than oil. It eventually evened out when electricity got more expensive. But electricity is more expensive than oil. And the oil company is trying to show you you should switch to oil because it's cheap. Fair enough. I think they got the right to tell me that. And they presented a graph. And I'm sure the numbers were real. So it was oil, electricity, and it showed oil like this and electricity like that. And you go, holy crap, electricity is an expensive way to heat my home. It's like burning a pile of 20s. <laughs> Except it was, it was talking about like average number of dollars per month. Okay? And it was like, this was 80. So it's 90, it's 100. Is it more expensive? Yeah, it's, it's 20 bucks more a month or yeah, 15. But it's not four times more expensive. Right? Watch for this during presidential elections in the States, federal, provincial elections in Canada. Look at campaign literature. You see, they aren't lying. They're just not being truthful. <laughs> I realize that sounds like the same thing. But what they're doing, there's real, those are real numbers. But it's the way it's presented that's the problem. You could also be ridiculous if you were the electric company, you know, the, the old TV show? The electric company? No, nobody? Too, too, too young. It was a great show. It was like Sesame Street, except for older kids. And it had all these. Morgan Freeman got to start out on the electric company. You should Google that and watch videos. Um, anyway, let's go the other way. Let's have the scale go from zero up to two million. Wow, they're exactly the same. You know, you got to have a reasonable scale. So you got to be really careful about that. Typically, if it's your own data, it's not going to matter a great deal. But even then, you should try to be a bit careful. Because it might be the case that you end up lying to yourself. Now, the histogram, I don't want to talk about you know, richness in the data. The histograms are great, except that you do lose some of that richness. Well, not perhaps with the Mario Lemieux example, because we only have a few seasons of him playing hockey. But in other cases, we're going to lose the numbers themselves. So in that case, you do what's called you can do a stem and leaf plot. And this is something you can easily do on your own with a paper and pen or in a lot of stats software like this. These are the stems. And these are the leaves. 
you can look at this. First of all, you look at it sideways, it looks the same as the graph. Pretty much it. And also, I can tell you one goal, six goals, seven goals, 17, 19, 28, 35, 43, 44, 45, 48, 50, 54, 69, 69, 70, 85. Easy. Assuming I copied those all properly from the other set of numbers, which I may not have. The point is, the seven leaf plot allows me to still see the numbers very easily, but it gives you the shape and it gives you a bit of the spread. This is called an ordered seven leaf plot. This one, it's ordered because I've got the leaves in order. I don't know why you never do an unordered one, but they exist. You interpret this the same way as a histogram. You just got to turn your head sideways. It's easy to slide outliers. You spoke on outliers. Don't think we have any here. It is weird that you got one goal one year. Right? So you'd say, why'd that happen? And then you, like I said, you had cancer. No, that wasn't a cancer. That was the end of the year. He only played a couple of games because of his back that year. It preserves the data. This is something I like about a seven leaf plot. You, you will never see a seven leaf plot in an art. Doesn't happen. But you will see it, you, you should do them yourself when you collect data, just to get a feel for what happened with your numbers. Questions about that? Does that make sense? We've seen this before, I think. It's easy to get the middle of the 50th percentile, which is 44 in this case. How did I do that magic calculation? I found the number in the middle. I just found the number in the middle. Not that hard. Right? I counted. Nothing fancy. We got what? 17. So the number in the middle is going to be what? The eighth and a half, no, eighth number, right? Nine. It's the middle, not hard. I counted. I can count to nine. <laughs> nine, 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 nine. Let's see. So it's a real sort of Sesame Street theme, isn't it? How many is nine? From the standard leaf plot, you can get the five number summary. I mean, I know you're excited already. This stuff is rigid. But you can get the five numbers, not, not the four number summary, not some lousy three number summary, but a five number summary. A six number summary would be over the top and ridiculous. Five is the sweet spot. I had to do something to keep myself interested in this crap, okay? Um, <laughs> you get that from a stem and leaf plot, you get the median, which is the 50% up. You get the first quartile, that's half of the first half, it's 25th percentile. I counted across. 17 and a half, it's in the middle of two numbers. Third quartile, 61 and a half. So halfway between the minimum and the median and the median and the maximum. That's what those quartiles are. Okay? Really straightforward stuff. Again, I just did it by counting it long. Forward, nothing to worry about. All you're doing is counting numbers. Now you can do this with uh, you can software will calculate those things for you if you want it to, and, and it's fine. But there's no real need to do that with a small data set like this. With a large data set, just just you know, uh, with let, let's even Excel or Google spreadsheets will do that. You just you know the, the, the thing is just median and then the number of number, the set of numbers. If you're using uh, so one of your cells, you just put equals median. And then open parentheses, the first cell, and then comma, the last, last cell, close parentheses, and it'll just tell you the median. And you can get deciles and quartiles and all that stuff. It's really easy. So if you want to do it with that, there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. There's five numbers. There's the minimum, which is one, and the maximum, which is five. These two give you the range, by the way, 
80, you can, there's two ways you can discuss the range. It's 1 to 84, or 85, or it's 84. You can subtract one from the other, or you can just put them both in there. It doesn't really matter. Again, you would never be reporting this. This is for you. You can now take these numbers and make a box and whisker plot, or a box plot. They were really banned in the 60s, the box plots. It's the, huh? box, it was the box tops. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, they sang the song, the letter, you know, you need to take it on an airplane. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're all too damn young. Kids today in their complicated shoes. <laughs> it's a Seinfeld reference. Um, but you're not getting either, and that pisses me off. Okay. Because <laughs> that really shows up. So the box plot. You just have those five numbers, and you can do this. I've got the minimum, sorry, the minimum, the maximum, first quartile, third quartile, medium. Isn't it pretty? Now, how old are these? What are these lines? Well, there's a couple of ways you can do this. A couple of ways. One of them is you can make these things, uh, in this case, because the minimum and the maximum are where they are, I just went to the minimum and the maximum. But what you would also do, what you would typically do, is go to, uh, is use what are called interquartile distances. And that's what this is. That's the distance from the third quartile to the first quartile. And then go out, and a common way to do this is one and a half interquartile distances. Either way. And as a rule, sort of rule of thumb, a lot of people will tell you that anything that falls outside what are called the whiskers, that's these guys, is an outlier. So we don't really have any outliers. The other reason I didn't go one and a half at the quartile distances is I would go down to negative. I would go into negative, really negative territory. And in this case, it makes no sense. You can't score a negative number of goals, even though the Montreal, my Montreal Canadiens are trying to prove that they can this year. <laughs> I almost know what it's like to be a Leaf fan. Yeah? Every day you go, well, we still suck. Um, you know what's wrong? I really don't know what's wrong. One, I know what's wrong. One player shows up. We've got a good goalie. That's about it. Now we Eric Cole. We get two. So does that make sense? Those are really quick, quick techniques. By the way, doing a stem and leaf plot in something like SPSS is trivial. Doing it with Excel means you it's almost impossible. It's evil. Draw it yourself. <laughs> or if you want to play with SPSS, seriously. Um, by the way, if you go to people.aec.ca slash broadback slash 3256, you will see the first assignment is posted. You can download that exciting Word document and do these. It's due on the 26th of January. You have... Like, that's a long time. You have two weeks from today. It should take you maybe an hour. Uh, if you want to, it's a nice, because you can do it all by hand, that's great. But it might be a nice time to take those data that I've given you in that thing and throw them into, go to the computer lab, throw them into SPSS, and just see what the hell happens. Or throw them into Excel and play with it a little bit, just to get an idea of using a computer to do this stuff. Uh, Mike will be doing some uh, computer tutorials, by the way, with labs, a few of them to show you how to use SPSS. And Mike uh, will be doing his tutoring. Um, it's Friday afternoons at 1. I can't remember. I don't know where yet, but he'll email me and he'll let, let you know. In the assignment, pretty much, you do it with the things I just talked about. It's really that easy, OK? It's really straightforward. OK, so we talked about central tendency, right? So distribution. One of those three properties necessary to describe distribution. What do you need? You need central tendency spread and shape. You can also talk about shapes. I mentioned that electrocell kurtosis and such. Okay. Right. Here's an example. Let's consider the following batch of numbers. I don't know what these are. I have very little creativity. 1, 5, 9, 23. 11, 12, 15, 14, 15. Both have the same mean, 13. They both sum to 65 divided by 5. Right? That's the mean. Sum of the numbers divided by the number of numbers. 
if you don't know that, you are in trouble. Even if you had trouble with 2126, I'm sure you can calculate a freaking mean. It's an average. 65 divided by 5 is 13. Okay, it's definitely pretty 13. Yeah. A rain man for you there. I can make autism jokes. My son has autism. <laughs> They're the same, yet they're different. Have I blown your mind? So there's the numbers again. So they both have the same mean, and they're both symmetrical. So the shapes are different. Well, kind of. Not really, in essence, because when you think about it, they're both uniform, right? It's one of each number. They're both symmetrical, in fact. We have as much on the left side as we do on the right. And it's the same, uh, it's equidistant on each side. Huh. But how are they different? How are they different? Well, the one on the top is much more spread out. It's got more spread out There's been a lot more spread edification. <clears throat> Much more square. Question so far. This is all pretty, pretty sensible. It's all making sense. It's good. It's all review isn't it? This is like the first month and a half of 2126. I sit down in that class going, oh man, we're still doing means. I can't believe we're still doing means. <laughs> the spreadification of something. How can we measure how spread out it was? Well, range is a start. In fact, the range is the crudest measure of spread, but it is a measure of spread. It's crude, but it works. It'll tell you something. And in fact, we have 1 to 30 versus 11 to 15. We see that the one on the left, which is the top uh, batch number, is more spread out. Yep. It's pretty crude, though. But it's a start. Any measure of spread that we come up with should show that the one that goes from 1 to 30 has more spread than the one that goes from 11 to 15. Right? So we know that. If anything we come up with, that should work. We can look at the interquartile distances. That's just the distance between the third quartile and the first quartile. That's a measure of spread. And it actually ignores outliers, right? That's the, that's the idea of it. There's no extreme values are in there. So that's the third quartile to the first quartile, 75th percentile to the 25th percentile. We certainly could look at that. That's a little more fine-grained. It's still pretty crude, but it's going to, and in this case, it's horrible because, frankly, we just have five numbers. It's not going to help us great deal. But with a bigger data set, that would be useful to a point. We need something better. It's kind of like me, really. The average amount of data are spread out. That's, that's exactly what we need. We need the average amount of the data are spread out. Well, let's try it. Okay, so the x is minus x bar, x bar is the mean, right? Sum of each value. So we take each value, subtract the mean, and then we sum that together. 1 minus 13, 5 minus 13, 9 minus 13, 20 minus 13, 30 minus 13, over 5. Ah, uh, hell, it's 0. Zero. Are they not spread out at all? Well, no, this doesn't work. It, it's too bad it doesn't work because it's intuitively exceedingly pleasing. Um, the problem here is because the mean is, if you think of a distribution of numbers as having mass, okay, the mean is the balance point. The mean is the balance point. That's where it's, it's right in the middle. And if, if that's the case, if I take away the same amount on each side, uh, yeah, there's nothing left. So that's why it doesn't work. It, this would always happen, unless you made an arithmetic error. It can't not happen that this is a useless quantity. So it always is going to sum to zero. Always. So you've got to think about it a bit, because it means the balance point 
it's, it's, it's not likely to happen. And you'll hear me later talk about probability mass functions. And if you think of the area under a curve as having weight, and the more stuff under there, the more it weighs, it actually can help you out. That will get rid of negatives. Well, the first way you might think of is just take the absolute value. You ever do an absolute value? You're in like grade seven, and they taught you that if you just put bars around the outside of numbers, that the negatives went away, and you thought to yourself, when will this ever be useful? Right now! Ha-ha! <laughs> Take that, you! People? So you can do that. So let's do it. It's an absolute value. So see what all that happened here? It takes you to names. That's all. It's actually got a name that's called the mean absolute deviation. I don't like it. 12 and 8 and 4, 12 and 8 is what, 20, 24, 31, 48, over 5, 9.6. So the mean absolute deviation, the average amount that the numbers deviate from the mean is 9.6. That sounds exactly like what we want. It's, it's perfect. It's exactly, it's, it's, it's great. I, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys, but I think this is the most exciting quantity I have ever calculated. And I've done the area of a circle and stuff. <laughs> Questions about that? Do you see how it was done? Do you, you think it's magic? Are you okay with that? Did the math scare you with the, with the summation and the x and with the bar and the lines? You get what I did there? You took away the negatives. Took away the negatives. Exactly. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Problem is, sometimes things that you think are cool aren't that cool. Like boats. They were cool for a while, early 80s. Bono had a moment. Really? Oh, yeah. Boy, did he ever. Oh, yeah. You take a look at like a YouTube video from about, say, 1984, when they were on the war tour. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really an alternative. Them and those were no, it was an alternative music thing well before it was a thing that people at Station Mall wore. Because <laughs> that's the hairstyle at the official hairstyle at Station Mall is the mouth. Have you noticed that? Uh-huh. Yeah. My, my daughter and I collect them. We take, we surreptitiously take pictures of moats and send them to each other. It's a fun thing we do. No, not, you know, not from the front. That would be me. <laughs> Just from the back. Um, you know, I once saw a guy, and it was a really trendy looking guy, sort of metrosexual looking guy, you know? And he looked really, he just looked good. I mean, you know, I'm very straight, and I can never tell when a guy looks good. And he looked good. And these two, he's one of these in the mall, probably going to Le Chateau. <laughs> And these two guys with mullets wearing sweatpants and their high school um, football jackets, and they're in their 30s, by the way. Only in their 30s? Yeah, but 30s, maybe late 30s, early 40s. You're standing there, and one guy says, Can you believe guys go out looking like that? And I, I thought that was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was like I was on a TV show. <laughs> it's like, you know, that you guys are losers. Um, so this actually, some, sadly, the. MAD, it's mad, I'm telling you, it isn't that useful. Uh, it's a shame. It's useful in a different kind of statistics, in what are called non-parametric statistics, which sometimes you have to use that are exceedingly simple to calculate, and I'm not going to show you ever how to do them. You ever have to do a non-parametric stat? They're easy to do. They really are. They're very simple. They involve a lot of counting. <laughs> really pretty easy. So you have to worry about them. But it can have a use. It, can have, it, have, it has a use this quantity, just not for us. In the type of stats we do, it in fact is a complete dead end. It's a shame because it's so intuitively pleasing. It really does. I mean, it has real intuitive appeal to me. I mean, it, it just makes a lot of sense. I remember when I first learned about in my second year stats class when I was an undergrad back at Western, and the prof was showing us this, and I thought, oh, this is obvious. Of course, you just and it's like, no, nah, it doesn't work. It's too bad has to be another way. Well, of course, there would be, or we would just stop. That's it. Course dismissed. <laughs> There's got to be a better way to do this. Um, well, the other way to get rid of negatives would be when we square them. We square the deviations. Right? Because, like, negative 2 times negative 2 is 4. A negative times a negative is a positive number. That's just one of those properties of the universe. Right? So what we're going to do is we're going to square it. 
That's what we're going to do. No big deal. Pretty easy to do. If you have a square button on your calculator, that's great. If you don't, you can type in the number twice. <laughs> you know, it's really not that hard. So you, we're just going to square the numbers. And that's, here we are here. So now I've got 12 squared is 144. Uh, 8, negative 8, uh, negative 12 squared. Negative 8 squared is 64. Negative 4 squared is 16. 7 squared is 49. And 17 squared is 289. What am, I, what am I doing in my head for? It's right there. Um, there was a thing we had to know. When I was in school, we had to know the squares of all numbers at the 25 uh, because it's useful. It's useful to be able to do arithmetic in your head. So. We divide that by 5, we get 112.4. We've got a quantity here. Questions? Is making sense? Are you okay with this? Uh, just yeah. a quick one. Why don't we square the 5? Oh, well, because you're dividing by the number of observations. Okay. And we don't have to worry about any negatives there. Right? Hundred and twelve point four. The thing is, it seems rather large, doesn't it? I mean, that MAD thing isn't very useful, but this should be kind of like that. It was nine point six. This is an order of magnitude bigger than that, right? It's got a that's right, it's two orders of magnitude. No. Well, it's sort of two orders of magnitude bigger, really. It's in square units, not the original units. So what we're going to do is the opposite of squaring something, we're going to take the square root. That's this button. Just take the square root. And then we're going to get it back to the original units. Think about this. If this, these were heights, or you know, distances in centimeters. Instead of having right now 112.4 centimeters, we actually got 112.4 centimeters squared. In other words, now we got area instead of length. So we got to get it back into length. So let's take the square root. Which is 10.6. Okay. That was easy. So far, are you with me so far? Okay, this is good. It's a good sign. The formula I just showed you has n on the bottom. n is the number of observations. Right? n is the number of observations. And that just makes a great deal of sense, doesn't it? It's supposed to be n minus 1. Which is really, really bizarre. We want something that's going to unbiasedly estimate the population value. This is a real, this is a characteristic of a population, this, this quantity. As you know, it's called standard deviation. It's, it's a characteristic of a, of a population. Now the problem is this that wasn't a population. We're going to say that was a sample. A population is all the cases of interest. And a sample is a subset of the population. I just gave you two definitions, by the way. Know them. Population is not the total number of people in Sault Ste. Marie. I get that on a quiz every year, and it just pisses me off. Please don't. All the cases of interest. We want something that's going to not overestimate this or underestimate this. We don't really care a lot about statistics. We really care about what are called parameters. Statistics describe samples. Parameters describe, describe populations. We really want to estimate population parameters with sample statistics. And the problem is, using n on the bottom gives us a biased estimate. wanted to calculate variance or standard deviation for a population actually have n, big N, on the bottom. That's the total number of observations in the population. It can't be biased in any way because it's about a population. But with this with a sample statistic, when we, unless we use n minus one, we end up underestimating 
the sample, uh, sorry, the, the population parameter. The beautiful thing is we know by how much. And we can easily fix it. We just take off one. We have lost what is called a degree of freedom. A degree of freedom is the freedom that numbers in a sample have to vary. You're thinking, what do you mean the freedom numbers have to vary? How can numbers have freedom? Well, don't get all philosophical on me. Show you something. If we had, let's just say we had uh, five numbers and the means 50. Means 50. We have five numbers. What do they, what do they have to sum to? So the mean is 50, right? What's the sum? And we have five values. What, what's, what's the sum of x? What is it? 250. What? 250. 250, yeah. So they have to sum to 250. Because 250 divided by 5 is 50. So they have to sum to 250. Give me a number. Doesn't matter which. Give me a number. 22. Thank you. God, is that hard, guys? 22. Give me another one. 54. I like that. That's a good one. Okay. Give me another one. Did you say 14? Go with that. Give me another one. 12. 12. Uh-oh. We got some 250. What do we have so far? 2, 4, 6, 4 is 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 21, 2, 12, uh, no, 200, yeah, 2, 12. So 212, this has to be 38. It must be. Assuming I did the arithmetic right in my head. It has to be. It can't not be. The first four numbers, we can just pick. You could use negative numbers. You could have used really big numbers. You could have used small numbers. Could have been decimal points. Thank you for making my doing my mental arithmetic easy. So you use whole numbers. I appreciate that. That's kind of wrong. But anyway, I, I, I clearly made a mistake in my addition. I think I did. But it doesn't really matter. The point is, you saw what happened there. One of the numbers was fixed. I've lost the degree of freedom. It's gone. And if we did this a million times and used a million different numbers, we would always have one degree of freedom missing. We have lost a degree of freedom. Degrees of freedom are the freedom that numbers have to vary. We have fixed, when we calculate the standard deviation, or the variance, we have fixed a value. And we've done that by, cal by calculating the mean. We have fixed the mean. We have said the mean in this case with our example is 50. Yes, I know you calculated the mean. The numbers don't know that. Numbers are stupid. You've lost a degree of freedom. The nice thing is, because of the way the really cool calculus behind all this works out, we know that instead of dividing by n, we divide by the number of degrees of freedom. So it's n minus 1. If that didn't make any sense to you, pretend you're Catholic and I'm Pope Dave the First, and I'm infallible. That wasn't meant to offend Catholics. Or if it was, I'll offend, uh, if, it, if it did, I'll, I'll try to offend every other religion throughout the course, and we'll, we'll balance it out. Those Mayans, <laughs> if they had an they would be underestimating population parameter. But the beautiful thing is we know by how much, and it's the, by, we divide by the number of degrees of freedom, and we end up, everything works out just fine. That's the beauty of this. All right. Questions on this stuff? Does that make sense? So now we've done about a month and a half of 2126. <laughs> in about, and we started a little late, you know, in about an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and five minutes. I'll continue talking about this stuff on my day. Yeah.
Podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right, giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want. Okay. Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's pod safe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.